We are not heroes, nor are we villains. Neither kings nor magicians, but we can tell you their stories. We are the Lore Keepers, and we welcome you to Halloween. Welcome to Halume. You've tuned into Lore Keepers, a podcast devoted to chronicling the serialized world building of a sprawling tapestry of interwoven lore. I'm Frank. I'm Carter. And uh, this season is serialized, so it's a grab bag of goodies. Sit back, close your eyes, and uh, let our uh, audio gateway sweep you into the... Our tingling audio gateway sweep you into the realms of Halume. Yeah, it's really tingling this week, Jesus. So this week, we're doing some brainstorming. We're going to throw out some ideas for series. We're going to kind of get chunky with our first idea for a series and start building that out, We think, me thinks. So let's get stuck in, Frank. Would you like me to start? Uh, in, in just a moment, I was just going to say, so like, uh, we, you know, last week was sort of our episode zero, right? We, it was almost like a season in review and sort of a look ahead at the next season. If you remember the beginning of last season, we also started with an episode similar to this, uh, although I think that was our episode zero for season four. Initially, we were potentially just going to launch right into the series, but we figured it might be nice to sort of peel back the the layers and let people look at the process the way that we did for season four. Um, So that's what we're going to do. Basically, we're kind of looking at some episode ideas we've had in the past, potentially just like coming up with a loose structure of some of the things that we want to attack. And if any of the things sound interesting to you guys, feel free to reach out. And then ultimately the goal for this episode is to basically just decide of all of these fun little ideas that we might have, what do we think would make for a really solid first series to go through? And if we come up with more than one, you know, then we kind of pit them against each other, decide who wins out for next, uh, the next episode where we then will do a similar attack, but like far more specific of like the series in question and like, how are we starting? And we mentioned this kind of with last episode that, you know, we're going to start a, uh, a series with a potentially shorter episode, really like, because this is all new to us, we're going to, uh, we're going to see how this works and where it goes. But that is, that's kind of the, the, the gist of the idea. Okay. So Without further ado, um, I am, so I'm currently, I have my note taking out, and I have uh, the Trello open. Do you have access to all the Trello boards still? The, like, seasons one through five? Probably. Possibly. It's a possibility. I, I think I, sh- I think I, at, you at least have access to season four. But, I mean, feel free to just kind of shotgun things at me, and I'll write them down with potential ideas. All right, sounds good. All right, so my first thought is, you know, I've been watching a lot of Calamity, Critical Role Calamity. There's some interesting stuff there. I got a few ideas coming out of that. Okay. Uh, I want to uh, have some more discussion about 
the kinds of damage that might have occurred on Sadar due to uh, divine conflict. Mm, Especially okay. in Avon Tertius, mm. when we have all of these gods fighting with each other, all these like demigods running around fighting with the gods yeah. who want to take them down. Yeah, there should definitely be like, like there would be scars left on the planet itself. And on reality, too, like, yeah, not to get too immediately esoteric with it, but that's, you know, obviously, you know, it's always my jumping point. But like, yeah, like, I mean, like, Helome would bear carry the burden of those wounds and scars for sure. Um, I think that that's really interesting. Yeah. And I think this this dovetails, Frank, with the mm-hmm. second thing, which is and how might this engender this. um Right. Divinely caused damage. How might that engender people to be like, fuck the gods. All they care about is themselves. They're only protecting their own interests. They're not Mm -hmm. actually trying to protect us. Because if you look at what they've done, all they're about is like, oh, we don't want the heavens to be filled with a bunch of mortals. You're talking about the Pax Demiurge? Yes. The kinds of sentiments that will eventually erupt into the Pax Demiurge. So like that. I would be... I would totally be into doing an entire series just on the packs and like, mm-hmm. how does it come about? What kind of impact does it have on reality? Like, especially cause as the centuries roll by, you get further and further away from that. Like atheism of a kind is a real possibility because you just don't witness the gods at all, which is not something that you normally think of as it relates to like a D and D like, uh, uh, you know, fantasy setting. Yeah, a deity fantasy setting where the gods normally are giving divine power or having an active hand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you're saying, when you get the Pax Demiurge, there's, there's certainly places in mm-hmm. the world that the gods no longer do this. And so maybe some people there are just like, maybe the gods are a myth. Yeah, or at least like if they do have this knowledge or relationship to the gods, it's highly litigious. Right. They see him more as an organization and less as like these beings of pure light who, you know, are benevolent and look after everybody. It's more like almost not almost to deal with the devil, honestly, of like not necessarily deal with the devil because it's not that they're looking to fuck him over. But like we can't trust you, so we have to keep you in line kind of thing. Do you think that that's okay? Well, like, I I think that that's great. I mean, that sounds fantastic. We can talk about potentially like, you know, what the scope of those might be. But I think there are definitely more ideas to be had. Honestly, that kind of dovetails, interestingly, with uh, one of the ideas I had, which was like the eternal divine war of like angels versus demons type thing. But honestly, yes. I think that yours is maybe more interesting. It's more it, where it was. No, I want to talk about me, what your what your thing too. I want to talk about that. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I think it it could be interesting. I think the thing is, is it's not, and it should matter. It should be. It should matter a lot. Like what's happening there. Similar kinds of uh, you know, damage and circumstances would like fuck up the like reality, right? Like we even there was like. There was at one point where I'd kind of thrown out the idea of like, maybe the absentium actually succeeded partially in overtaking a portion of one of the ethereal realms, like, like sort of like severing it and taking it for their own. Like that could be a really interesting development. You know, things are not perfectly balanced. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe Pasha's is, is like now uh, the divine, like, vagabond who goes from 
the different realms being like, yeah, they destroyed my super nice place of peace, and I'm just like chilling with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Well, like Avum Cortis, right? During Avum Cortis, you lose that the connection the, you know, the, between peace and yeah, and like the, the regions are enthroned; they're not going anywhere necessarily. But like the the realm of peace itself would be weakened significantly yes. by the fact that people are just not engaging with it in that way anymore. It's it sort of stands isolated and alone. And like that, the realm of peace is something particularly at odds with the even the idea of war and you know these more martially inclined mutes for instance would be keen to fuck it up right because it's an anathema exactly so let's um let's actually uh uh okay well that's i was gonna say let's step away from talking about the gods for a little bit i mean we've been talking about the gods for a year i'm sure we could spend another year talking about exclusively the gods but i think that there are like definitely other parts of of the world that are very interesting and i i I would be into returning what are some of the things that like yeah i don't know what can carry a series a lot of these are very broad or vague things i want to to have a series about unique ecosystems though you like animals that don't exist elsewhere and how they're balanced with each other uh, not merely uh, fauna, but also flora. So, like, like at, I mean, like, oh, ecosystem. sure. You just mean like, yeah. You just mean like ecology. Yeah, like talk a little bit about you know more magically inclined plants or animals and their role in this like big system. How they might mm-hmm. be interacting with the knowing. One of the things that I would love, like, I was kind of, I started to to just keep a loose list of like. I would love to take a slightly more scientific approach to fantastical material. Like there are so many, we, we have gestured at some really cool ideas in the past, right? Of like the idea of alloys that get infused with crystal in weird like relationships so that they can kind of have a semi-magical behavior or like maybe this is what mithril is, right? We talked about like maybe it's Erebor seed inside of I mean, you know, I, do you remember Dermanlock? Yeah, Dermanlock, right, exactly. Like, I think that there are some really interesting things. There are material aspects to Halime that have remained vague, and I think it'd be cool to, if not necessarily create a table of elements, but more like sort of a, a sage's compendium of here are sort of known curiosities and and how are they used during different ages or like, you know, it's not because I think the thing is, is it's easy for a fantasy setting when you're focused on other things to sort of just find one God material or magic material that then sort of just becomes a catch all for any sort of cool shit that you want to do. Yeah, we've we've evolved beyond that. Like, you know, that's maybe places where we've begun. But like Halume has developed out to this point where we definitely it deserves to have further exploration into those different materials and things. And it might just mean that you'd have to pick one of them. Like, for instance, I don't think I'd want to do just crystal because we talk about crystal all the time. But like, does Ruby do something different than Sapphire or Emerald? Is it just an inheritance cycle thing where it's like the pure, the gemstone or the like more unblemished, the more magic it can carry? Because I don't think so. I think there's more to it than that. Yeah, we could get as much as physically, as physic, physic-y and as like science as we'd like. Because like in the end... Mm-hmm. 
both rubies and sapphires and emeralds are all aluminum oxide with different impurities right. that exactly. they, they color them. Mm-hmm. But also our world doesn't possess magic, right? So maybe that it, it, it touches crystalline structure differently or something, right? Like it, the, the, the crystalline structure of the prismed light yeah. or something, you know. If, like if I was going like to get, if I was going to like use science again, I'd be like, what crystal is and why it's special with magic is because of the, is uh, also a part of the relationship between metal and magic. Metal, specifically some metals as like big batteries or like conductors or however you're saying of mm-hmm. magic. And then the crystal is different because it contains these metals, like as I said, aluminum oxide, stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And has them in such a such an orientation different from the normal metallic structure that allows for different properties to arise. Right. Or like we talk about the whole, you know, magic is uh, or metals an insulator, uh, crystal is a conductor for magic. What happens when you mix those two? Right. Or like this is I mean, that's 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 not a oh, shit. How does it break down? It's like, no, I mean, electricians use both of those things constantly. What do you think wire is made out of? Right. Like it's. That the, it's it's a composite of both because you need both to, to effectively use you know utilize the energy. If you just um, use metal for wise, you'd fucking zap right. yourself and cause a fire. Right. I just wanted. I just had a thought because I, I didn't want to breeze past it too fast. But the ecosystem stuff. Um. Did you? Oh, did you have any specific unique ecosystems that you were thinking about, or was it just sort of like in general, like what does a jungle look like on Halloween? How is that different, or is it more like? this jungle in this one place or if we can even call it a jungle one second frank idea just hit me maybe some of our spell ink is like mercury with crystals in it well dude kythal ink okay that's actually literally uh uh hold on i'm gonna i'm gonna look it up because this, this is in record of the lore keepers let me find it i have a whole it's dude it's good our yeah, wizards just have practice. terrible mercury poisoning that's why they all look old no 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 uh Okay, where is it? Uh, okay, Kythal Ink, a special ink used by uh, magicians to inscribe sigils onto spell scrolls and books. Kythal Ink's name comes from its inventor, a ki- uh, Kitka magician named Kythal of Root and Breeze. Kitka are like these like plant people. The ink is a compo- uh, composite of fermented tettle grass and crushed gemstones mixed with alkalized water. Uh, oh, because of the grainy quality of the ink, it needs a special kind of parchment called spell script. Uh, without it, the ink won't bind properly with the page, and the crystal dust can crack and tatter. Since it's the crystal dust that is conducting the spell, the die po- in parentheses the die portion of the ink is really only there so the magician can read it. Spells have been known to misfire, peter out, or simply not activate. I mean, that's fucking cool, right? Like, and that was because I actually like took a second, was editing a episode, and was like, you know, this is kind of the thing we were talking about last episode of of. When I actually slowed down and had to actually capture the ideas, I was like, ah, oh, shit. Also, I just like Kythel. I think that's a good name. It's Q-Y-T-H-E-L. Yes. Yeah, get, like, getting back to the, as you're saying, with these, like, ecosystems. I just, mm-hmm. like, a big part of fantasy for me is you're walking through a forest or you're walking through a meadow, whatever it is, and you see mm-hmm. something you don't expect to see. And this other world. And this isn't sure. like, you see a frozen lightning bolt that you can see from a mile off. No, no, no. It's like, it's, it's more mundane than that. It's mundane mm-hmm. for the world, but it's magical to you because you don't live in this world. 
Right. Exactly. You're a visitor. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I think, I think I would totally do that. I mean, like one of the things that I would really love to do is investigate shortly before I think we began season three, which was Padasati, right? Like, I think this was maybe a couple of episodes before the end of season two. Or maybe it was in season three, but we hadn't yet decided to just do a focus on one city for the rest of the season. I think season three might have been split that way. We mentioned that there is a floating continent, and I've thrown this out there before, that like the uh, Aarakocra are from. And like, yeah, what does that do for ecosystems, right? Like, what what does that mean? What What do we do with that? How do you have a floating? Obviously, you can do some fun stuff with like, oh, you know, somehow this rock either contains gases or is magical or something like that. Um, and so it floats, but like, I don't know, like what kind of animals live up there, right? And, you know, where did the Aarakocra come from? Was this continent always floating? It could be cool to just do a series just on that continent by itself. Yes. Because like, also, that has a lot of implications with like, where is it? How do you map that? Like, like, does it float in the same, like, is it sort of like tidally locked, quote unquote, to the same location on the world? So it's always floating above the same place. Does it like travel? Like, does it migrate uh, around the world? Or, like, there's so many things you can do with that. And also, is it a continent, or is it more like Indonesia, where it's a series of floating islands? It's true. Um, um, what else? Hmm. Do you have any, like, non-magical things you'd be interested in? Like, I, I, I don't know, like, traditions of a certain people? Like, we could sort of focus on a singular ancestry, or that you've just been curious about, or feel like there is missing information? Like, I will say, with our discovery of the free elves recently and my development of that idea, I think that that has enormous implications. And it could be fun to throw you a lowball, a grounder, and let you, uh, you know, let us just do an entire series on the free elves. Because I think that would be really interesting, Um, especially because they're a uniquely Halumian thing, right? But there's also a lot of other ancestries that I think deserve some attention. For instance, we have talked before, uh, like loosely gestured that like Umdara, the southern reaches of the continent are mostly dominated by other people. And I think in, in my mind, I've imagined that those are maybe sort of a whole community of different beast folk, right? Like anthropomorphic, like Loxodon or like hippo people or, you know, uh, the uh, what are the tabaxi, right? That kind of thing could be fun to sort of examine those as a people because there are entire organisms like where do they come from like we've just sort of i don't want them to just be exoticized you know yeah maybe maybe we can find them a place in the map to just be like this is where they're from and there's you know this is like where most of them are from and you know Mm -hmm. there's some scattered tribes here and there and these other places where they're not typically found where they're considered mm-hmm. to be like, oh, you know, like, we don't see these kinds of creatures often, or these knowing races often. I'm gonna but in this place, they're commonplace. Beast folk, that could potentially be one. I was also thinking, I want to do a series, and this is going into your stuff about, like, non-magical stuff, or, like, stuff about the um, ancestries. I want to do an ancestry where each episode is we focus on one ancestry, one quote-unquote common ancestry, maybe to Everest. Mm-hmm. And we say, without looking at this ancestry's perspective at all, what do the other ancestries around them describe them as? 
how do hmm. these other ancestries view this one? Yeah, I think I think some version of that I could totally do. I'd totally be into doing a series on that. It, it it's definitely going to be one that will require some proper framing because this is one of those tricky things about ancestries and and the nature of their sort of origin point and stuff is and how they're not monoliths. i don't know right they're not monoliths and like nation to nation they might have completely different relationships so like the i think there's maybe some specificity that's lacking from that like maybe there is a way that we can sort of create a lens through which to talk about those relationships like is it a single yeah, city i think or it's is very, there very sort of a specific time of history where all of them are sort of banded together or <laughs> There's totally ways we could, I mean, honestly, the, the, the era of the Stratus Magda Accords, right? The idea yes. of, like, invoking and bringing humans into the, oh, we're officially recognizing you as knowing, despite the fact that, like, even during Avum Secunda, those who were born free without the branding uh, that was done to them by the Imperials were, like, still capable of some, albeit very limited versions of sort of, like, moral engagement. Yeah, and... I just think there's something interesting about this world is so significantly different than our world because of there are these this great many intelligent species that are mm-hmm. very biologically different and their yeah. minds work in significantly different ways so they all share some bedrock of course definitely that there there can be these kinds of feelings where it's like look elves live so long besides the free elves the vicar where it's just like they view the world differently and they have this avrilian element that they all share that unites them that mm-hmm. cr- causes them to treat history differently yes and yes. so like, i mean like looking from literally the outside, like i i mentioned the vicar right yeah like there is something fundamentally different about you if you can live for 500 years, like it's yes. just, you do not experience life the same way and people will see you differently. Doesn't matter what your ancestry was. If you live for 500 years, you are alien among uh, like people of a shorter lifespan. Yeah. And then I also wanted to spend one series at least on the Riven. We need to revisit them. We need to be oh, like, God. what's yeah, going on right. there? We still haven't yeah, done them totally. justice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we need to figure out how. Like, I'll I'll say this without really revealing too much uh, to you, but like our campaign, there is a context of orcs that will need to be determined, and I still don't know where I am with orcs. Like, I don't, I, you know, there was a time when I was approaching them as almost more like Gollum, and that they were just purely id driven, as in like id ego super ego. Yeah. I don't know where I stand with that anymore. I, I, I don't know. Like, there is a lot that would need to be figured out there, especially because it's like you cannot disconnect. Or can you? I don't know. I don't, I don't think that it would be my position to try and disconnect the, the cultural history uh, in our world of the relationship between the depiction of orcs and black and brown bodies. Like that, that is just something that is so ingrained and I don't think it's my place to try and disassociate that. But I also don't know if it's my place to try and engage with it much because it's not mine to work with. I don't know. You know, I, I feel like that is definitely something where. Yeah, but I tough. agree. I think that doing a series on the Riven would be a really good idea. I agree. Because we want to make them 
this is the, the the weird trouble with Riven is we want to make them into this force of not just this. Oh, they're evil. You can kill them. They're just these bad guys, and the the mm-hmm. good guys just need to kill them. And then when they're all dead, they won. That's great. Great for everybody. Mm-hmm. We want to make them a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah. But also, we we still kind of want this easy bad guy. It's this weird thing where like they are dangerous to the knowing, and. It's it's very difficult to coexist because well, of their, and their aversion to magic. Yes, because they are utterly alien um, mm-hmm. to to the behaviors of the knowing, and also because like an enormous part of it is Helme isn't perfectly woke. Like I think, if anything, that would be a reduction of the opportunity to explore prejudice, right? Or yes. and and obviously, I don't mean explore prejudice. Like, well, hmm, you know, let's both sides it. You know, well, let's hear what the Nazis have to say. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is like, I don't know. It, it's not a perfect world. There's going to be people with biases naturally. Like that's just what happens. It doesn't make me feel comfortable, and I think it's actually really important if you're doing a fantasy setting like this and you have this opportunity at least for me it is something i have chosen to do to say no let's engage with that conversation what does it mean for these people to alienate these others you know not everybody is like born with no judgment in their heart or whatever like or or you know culture still you know teaches you to fear shit yes frank have you seen the orville uh no i haven't I'm not well, really much of a Seth uh, Green kind of guy. Seth Green? You mean Seth MacFarlane? Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> different guy. Yeah, different guy. Uh, I will say that it's some of the best TV I've seen in a while. Incredibly. The later seasons, incredibly re- really? well written. Yes. It's just a comedy, right? Uh, it, it began as a comedy. And then it became far more serious than Star Trek. And they're dealing with like really serious shit. What? Like there's there's one species. It began that, as a comedy, but they switched tracks. Yes, I know it's crazy. Anymore? Does it work that way? How does that work? It, I like it, but basically, okay. one of the species should... is this huh. single sex species. Uh, sure. But it's but it's been revealed that they're actually not naturally a single sex species. They've been. Basically, whenever a female is born, which is more rare than a male, but whenever a female is born, they sex change them at birth, basically. And mm. people have started to realize this, and they're like, holy shit, this is really fucked up. And then th- there's this struggle in the like fiction of the union, right? the federation, basically. What do we do about this? this yeah, is being like, you this- are a union member, you're doing these terrible, fucked up things, but you're like, this is our culture, you have to accept us, because you're accepting yeah. our cultures. And it's like, but we don't want to accept this kind of shit, it's horrible. And there's, and then there's this like outside threat that's like a warning about war, and they're like, well, we can't lose this, because we, we're stronger together. If we lose them, then we're weaker to this outside threat that's going to try to annihilate us all. But we can't just let them keep mm-hmm. doing these terrible things. And there's this beautiful story within that about mm-hmm. this family that's trying to deal with uh, the prejudice that they were raised on. Say no more. I want to I wanna watch this. I'm very it's interested. really good. Because, like, okay, so what I'll say is, is I think... Here, here is, I think, morally where I have come down with this, and then we should really move on to other potential series yeah. ideas. But like, I mean, I'm sold. Like, I think, I think we need to talk about this. Is it, what it reminds me of is I think about 
what do I have to say about Islam and the role of hijabs and burqas? And, and, and like so far in my life, what my moral stance has been on that is I don't have a thing to say on it. It's not for me to decide that shit. Let the women decide who are part of that culture, right? Like, you know, people who actually were born in this, who know what it's like. I, I can't speak to the, like, that is not my context. I am not educated enough, but that doesn't mean like, you know, if you want to be truly anti-racist or anti-prejudice or, you know, whatever, like there is a platforming that is possible if you are one of those other voices, those outside voices. I'm not sure what the equivalent in Halame would be like, you know, I don't know. I guess we could we should talk about that at, during the, the, the intro to the uh, to the Riven series. Um, I have some ideas. I don't think that it, it is like what what it is, which was is like. Could we bring on like a sensitivity consultant type situation yeah. with like a token person of of like. I don't know, greater ethnic or, you know, uh, gender diversity than us. It's like, that sounds real cringe. I don't think we should do that. Um, but also, I don't know. Well, we can talk about it. Um, I do think that there's probably a healthy way of approaching that. And it is something that I've been skirting for years because I don't know how to handle it. Um, yeah, I just, I, I want to yeah. say that you're absolutely right. Um, we should, there should be an exploration of prejudice. Not because prejudice is in any way good. It's not. <laughs> But the the point but to you ignore explore it is to, prejudice yeah. is because there is prejudice in the real world, and your stories yeah. should reflect what the real world is like. You should have stories to help explore these things, so you can what better understand conflict? the world you live in. Right, like the whole point of stories is like there is conflict because conflict is a part of real life. Now, I'm sure there's probably some postmodern approach of a narrativeless or like a conflictless story, and I'd be actually very interested to see what that is. But that's not what we're building here, right? Like that, or that would, if we wanted to explore that, that would be like its own different thing, its own different series. But within the lens of, you know, conflict and prejudice, like yeah, how do we approach this stuff? And I think it's time to like. I don't think I should keep looking away. It'd be good to when I, when I the closest I get to a conflict with stories, I think like the sun also rises, where like they're just a bunch of fucking layabouts going on vacation, and then one of them gets upset about something and punches the other one, and then the story ends. But that's still conflict. There's conflict. Right? Like There's the conflict scope in there. of the conflict is very minor, but like it's still, it's still exactly pushing but It's it's as it's as close as you can get. Yeah. Totally. No, I get what you're saying. Okay, but we should move on. There's like definitely, yeah. so I think that is a lock for sure. I don't want to touch that one first, though. I definitely need to chew on that one. God, I feel like there's so many other potential ideas that we could go for, though. Um, I don't want to just like call it now. Um, nor do I think we need to. I think we've still got a little bit of time, um, but I just, oh gosh, what else? Um, oh, I, this is kind of just a little one. I and thought it could boosh. be sort of a fun, imagine, Rakvar's life flashes before his eyes. You know, he faces death. What would he see? What are some of the pastiches of like like different a different episode? We talk about like a different event of Rakvar's life and sort of like We have a series of Rakvar. Yeah, sort of a series of unfortunate Rakvars, right? Like just sort of like different little uh uh moments because the whole thing I mean, and yes, okay, obviously that'd be kind of fun. And it's like you know, be, it, I think it'd be fun to do like a series about him, but also because he has touched so many different parts of history and been involved, like he's in the background of so many different paintings, 
right? Like he just kind of he keeps popping up in the gallery of 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 you know Halume. I, I feel like Rakvar is some combination of Q from Star Trek, Conan the Barbarian, and like fucking Hamlet. <laughs> I mean, like, my brain is just struggling to even marry those three things together, but I feel like this is not actually a bad descriptor. Yeah, man, I'd, I'd do it. All right, that's, that's one thing to do for sure. What about uh, the, eh, I don't know if this has that big of legs, but I'll throw it out there. Astrology and the Adiel system. Like, specifically, like, the, you know, the other planets and the planetary bodies. I don't know what we do with that. I think there is I definitely... I don't think that's astrology. Well, no, but the two th- things are interlinked. Because in Halume, like, there are actual alchemical signs that refer to those as heavenly bodies. And also, we recently introduced the idea, inadvertently kind of, of, like, maybe there's sort of, like, a slumbering deity within the different bodies maybe it has to do with having a crystalline core and if having a crystalline core is somehow just like a naturally occurring thing in sort of the cosmic construction i'm surprised you're not reaching for this if we want to do astrology maybe we spend a little bit on the audio system but surely astrology is like super hooked up to the what are they called what are our stars? What do they represent? They're dudes. Oh, the, uh, yeah, the aspects. The aspects, yes. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, I think, no, you're right. Like, I think astrology as it manifests in hell, because it's, it, it's, it's a very meaningfully different thing than it is in our world, right? Like, people are actually using it to chart events in a sort of weird way. Like, you can actually kind of hook up fate or, like, prophecy, right? Um, this is a thing, Rachel was asking some questions as we were working on her character background. Of, like, because she was curious about an Avum Tertius, like, what is the role of, like, you know, okay, we, you know, we have this prophecy that we've thrown around, right? Like, the idea that everybody is born under a prophecy or they, has, they have prophecies about them that they just know. So, like, what does that make for the diviners in a society? And I, in the comparison I said is that, well, it's like, I think it's kind of more like your pharmacist, honestly. Like, it is so ubiquitous, at least during Avum Tertius, of just like, yeah, you go somewhere to kind of get a read because. I mean, they're not batting a thousand or anything, but like there are definitely signs that people are reading or tracking like, you know, the wake of of fate as it shifts and moves through the the world. And like you can actually. Use that to kind of augment your experience of reality and help you make decisions and shit. I think that that could totally hold its own. You're right. Like that. I think there could be an episode about the heavenly bodies and what they have and how they relate, and also the stars, as you were saying. We could talk about astrology as a whole for a whole series, or we could just focus on cosmic bodies, but, like, aspects, planetary, Yadiel, etc. Yes. Okay. Let's do, let's do like, a, a, a rapid-fire round. Uh, let's just kind of, like, throw out some random ideas and see if anything, like, sticks. Warfare. Anything with warfare. I feel like warfare's a little played out, but it's also this yeah. very generalized thing nah what about like food Eh. culture in general zooming out for a moment is there anything we can do with culture 
Like, I feel mm. like we could, you know, we've kind of done the thing where we like focused on Padasati, right? Like, and sort of explored different aspects of that city. I feel like that was a good lens. I think there's an interesting thing to be said about the shift in dwarven culture from this very insular, uh, like, clan-focused culture, family-oriented stuff. You're talking about the Carble Gun Cardoon pivot of, of like, you know, inviting other people into yeah, and, and the, the city and saying... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we could totally do that. Sort of the, 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 the nascency of capitalism and how the dwarves use that to sort of rebuild their nation. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that, that could be interesting. Because that uh, definitely, like, um, w- could be a really interesting flashpoint of history to explore of, like, these are peoples who have held the same traditions for tens of thousands of years, and all of a sudden, because of their most venerated figure, who they all is, like, as akin to a demigod for them, as close to demi-divinity as you get in the end of Avon Cortis, beginning of Avon Pentis, tells everyone, all right, we're going to do capitalism now. It's like, uh, sorry, what? Yeah, yeah, throw away all of those traditions that you used. Instead, uh, go out and make money. And it's like, uh, well, we do almost worship you. What the fuck? Exactly. Oh, I thought of a really good one. The Druidic traditions as they relate to ha- uh, uh, halflings and lycanthropy, especially lycanthropy. I feel like there is a really, really rich body of content there that we haven't even begun to crack open of i don't know what that means but it's also so distinct to it feels at least to me distinct to helame like i don't normally think of halflings as these straddling the line between civility and pure feral like you know uh uh, naturalistic intense and like what are werewolves in the world of Helame and also other forms of like the thropies, right? The the anthropic, like, you know, beast shaped. Thropies. Yeah. I know we did is an that, episode. Is that, is that the like term for the people that are sexually attracted to like hand ropes? Thropies? Oh oh my gosh. Uh maybe. Holy shit, that's gross. Um I don't know. Chase your bliss, I guess. You know, yep. if you were into werewolves, I'm not trying to kink shame. It's just not my thing. Anything that's multiplanar, uh, uh, extra planar? Or like the other, uh, on the other side of things, let's dive deep into the magic stuff. Like, is there anything, uh, you, you know, kind of mentioned the idea of doing like academic magic. Do you want to do a, try throw out the idea of a series for yeah. that? I want to do academic magic. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the development of you know wizard academies mm-hmm. of these places where you can get training cantrips right this like offshoot of the wizard academy this trade school kind of thing yeah i want to focus more on the academies and like this weird place we're in that often comes about in fantasy but is never i don't mm-hmm. think really explained well between this like belief that these wizards there are these powerful wizards that teach other wizards. But, like, is that all they do? Like, are these incredibly powerful wizards in academy or academic positions not using their influence to influence sure. geopolitics? Yeah. I mean, exactly. Like, it, the Order of the Vivid Precipice has to exist for a reason, right? Like, we've talked about the OVP before and, like, the fact that, you know, their whole thing is that they're enchanters who have come together to say, like, we are going to kind of watch the watchers or sort of, like, watch 
each other because we know that we have a lot of power. But they couldn't have always been around. And they're definitely people who maybe are part of enchantment or are outside of that sphere. Yeah, but also it's just like uh, a lot of these They might still be a professor at a college, but they have a lot of power. Yeah, but I think I think the the order of the vivid precipice is more about making certain wizards don't abuse enchantment to like literally take people's wills away. They mm. don't care if you grease some palms and are just like after political power so long as you're not like you know enthralling people. Yeah, like, literally okay. turning people's into mindless. Well, and, and and to be clear, the point for why I brought that up was not like, um, you know, oh, we have a stopgap for that. It's more yeah. saying, no, 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 this is such a big deal that they there was literally a society of magicians who decided we can't fuck with this anymore. Like, exactly, it would be yeah. such a big complex where it's like, you have, to, you have to address this as an issue of there is unequal power, a tremendous amount. Yeah, and so um, I think these, yeah. like, academic wizards and these academies... Mm-hmm have a lot of power because like maybe they have a say in where their like graduates go maybe they're like oh you know if you want to get one of our graduates we can recommend one of them to your court or to your you know organization Mm -hmm. totally if you are willing to do something for us and then it's basically like i mean it's the way a university works right yeah a part of it you buy us a wing you buy us a new facility where we can test like magic gravity shit and we'll uh you know we'll throw you uh uh uh, one of our best for your court yeah and maybe as like a student you you know you pay your dues or whatever it is and a part of that is like you're expected to like for a couple years or you know one to five years depending on like your contract you go and you work where the university tells you and then you're free to go Mm -hmm. right and it would depend on the academia yeah Okay, uh, gosh, what other, what other things? Um, oh, okay, here is here one while you were talking about this that I actually thought would be a good, good one to... I mentioned plyrithics sometimes, right? It was a term I invented uh, to refer to the idea of, like, alchemy or these other astrology or whatever. These are actual sciences in the world of Halimate. Now, they're not a perfect science. It's more like predicting things in the same way that we predict quantum mechanics, where it's like, to a level of certainty, you can figure shit out, but you can't know for sure however uh over the thousands of years of civilized history like you would definitely have lore keepers or sages of some kind who'd be putting together a sort of codex of like here are the laws of science as we understand them and so like just in the same way that we have the laws of like physics that govern our you know material world that we live in I think that there would be a compendium of some kind, or at least an understanding of these are the pluralistic laws, right? Like there are laws that, and I'm not saying we necessarily need to name every single one of them or whatever, but it'd be more like we have a lot of different esoteric systems that float around that don't necessarily have to do with magic, right? So we have our magicians, obviously, who are interacting with the nine flow. And the nine flow is a whole system that we talk about a lot. We've also mentioned the fundament, and anima, right? We have uh, psionics. We have some other forces like that. And I would like to sort of like, can we approach a quote unquote theory of everything with them or a, you know, a way of how do these things interact with each other? What are their relationships to each other and get a clearer picture of that so that going forward, things are a little bit more nailed down. I think it could be a good series. It might be a pretty difficult one to do, though. I'm not saying we have to come up with a bunch of laws of reality. It's more just like, you know, are there 
do some of the principles for the way that magic interacts with itself also apply, but in a different way to anima? It, yeah. You know, like when you look at the uh, the standard model of physics, you have like particles and antiparticles. There is a kind of symmetry, right? And I think right now what we have is we have, if there is any sort of symmetry, it's very um, uh, unbalanced. And that could be part of the question, right? Do we want to go for a symmetry or do we want to intentionally go asymmetric where magic works like this, but the same rules do not apply to anima and they're not on a sliding scale they're entirely different fundamental, but like why, right? And like what implications does that have? Yeah, put it down. I, I feel like that's maybe my last one. I feel, the last I feel like one. there's definitely others. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Gambling. We can also, this isn't the, you know, this isn't a conclusive list either. If you come up with ideas in the next few months or whatever, we can always change a series. Gambling. Gambling? Gambling. Do people gamble? Like, what do they gamble on? Or dice games, card games, or is there horse racing? Is there like sure? Is there games in general? We don't really talk. I mean, the only thing we really have is like Vaji, which, I mean, these days I think I'd like to rename it because it's just in my head. I always just think vagina. It's pretty um, vagina, but like yeah. fantasy vagina. We should um, call it like, like like um, Vaji. So that way we think of phallic rather than Yannick. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Yaji, um, how about that? How about not? How about we come up with a different name? But also, like, um, I don't know, what other games do people play? Cards, like you mentioned. Is there something like tarot? Or, like, yeah, are they racing horses? Are they racing a different animal, like rams? Or maybe it's not racing at all. You know, maybe it's a different kind of feat. Or, like, uh, or uh, training or sport that people are betting on. Yeah, are there d- interesting sports, or is there like a lot of skill-based competitions, archery competitions, mm-hmm. like swordmanship, like free-for-all arenas that people fight and get like, paid? People are definitely hard workers, and the uh, at least the um, Trapensian calendar only has one weekend day, right? It's a six-day week with one weekend day. Um, but like depending on the time of history like there are different like there there are definitely different amounts that people work and there's different class of people you still have the nobles during you know the middle ages who definitely played a bunch of cards and shit like that you know watched fools tumble or whatever yeah and i mean how much can like the farmers do when they've planted that fields are taken care of they're waiting mm-hmm. for the harvest to grow and, you know, yeah, there's some stuff to be done around the house, and obviously the fields need to be kept safe. You know, maybe they're repairing the fences, but, like, at they, some they point, have downtime. you run out of stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this is probably a good list. Let me, let me read through everything we got on here, and then you can tell me if there's uh, your top three. We'll both pick our top three, and then we'll say them uh, once we've decided on them, and All then right. we can see if that gets us uh, any closer to one that we really want to do for this next first series. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right. So here are them, and you can let me know if you need me to repeat any of them at any point. Oh, uh, there's also a couple on here that I had written before we started recording. Um, One of them was like, what if we went through all the pantheons and talked about them not as they relate to individual gods beyond maybe the peak of whatever that pantheon is, but we spent an episode talking about what this pan like. We do an episode where we establish here are the big pantheons. It's not necessarily all of them, but like these are the ones that people know, you know, and then we do another episode where it's like, this is the top person of this one. This is the top person of this one. You know, could do that. 
There is, we talked about the Eternal Divine War. Um, angels, devils. Uh, Rakvar's life flashing before his eyes. Um, we could potentially do a single plane of reality, although that might be, we've kind of done that before and I don't know how well that's worked. Astrology slash the Yadiel system. How do those things interact? Uh, the scars of divinity. Uh, the idea of like all of this warfare or, you know, the titans of the demigods throwing shit around for, uh, you know, Avum Tertius and the, out, uh, the, the impact of that. And then in relationship to that, the Pax Demiurge. Um, the idea that people are like, let's just get rid of gods. Unique ecosystems. Uh, fantastical materials. Floating continent world. Uh, or floating continent of, of the world. Uh, beast folk and the their lands within Umdara. Um, the free elves potentially doing like a series about who are they, what does it, what makes them unique. Um, how do ancestries view each other? Um, kind of t- picking several major ancestries and just sort of examining them uh, from the lens of other ancestries. Uh, the Riven. Uh, the birth of dwarven capitalism. Uh, lycanthropy and halfling druidism, academic magic, pluridic laws, and gambling slash recreation. I gotta uh, give me give me a second to pick my three. Okay, I've got mine. We could also, you know, what if we? Okay, actually, I want to do this differently. I want to put them into uh, the the feed, and we'll publish at the same time. Okay, I am ready too. All right, on the count of uh, three, on three. Okay, one, two, three. No, <laughs> no overlap. You know what, though? I would totally do the materials. I would absolutely do that one. Is there any on my list that you like more than yours? That I like more than mine? Yeah. Uh, no. As doing it for the first series. Not that we we can't do it, but just like. I think. Nope. OK, so so here's the list. Uh, do you want to do you want to read your picks and I'll read my sure. picks? I, I, I picked the floating continent. Academic magic and magic materials. And my picks were the scars of divinity, beast folk, and lycanthropy slash halfling druidism. Yeah, frankly, I, I think ropey. I think I would do the magic materials. Or, or here's what we also could do: we could we could rate each of them one to five on our scale, and then like we just pick whatever one is the highest for both of us. Why is it one to five? Uh, no, 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 I just mean like you give it a score. Well, then, because then you have one that you just score basically zero. That's rude. Why not one to six? Okay, sure. Yeah, we'll do one to six. Six being the best? Uh, I was more just thinking like out of five. Yeah, six being the best. So wait, wait, wait it's not an like, ordered list or is it like we're going to give them all fives? I was thinking we could give them individual like oh i want to do this one two or three but i think ordered makes more sense and then we just add together whatever the numbers are and then whatever has the highest we do that one okay okay so academic magic okay i'm gonna i'm gonna should i would you like me to tally these up and i can read them off in uh our final ranking to the that uh, sounds the listener? good all right all right this is kind of fun it's kind of got some uh you know end of the year lists best of 2022 kind of vibes it's fun uh all right so let's see um I think we have a threefold tie. Uh, not a threefold tie. We have a tie between. We have two different ties, though. All right. So here's here's what we got. So coming in 
at uh, three points. Uh, um, one of the bottom choices for both of us was Lycanthropy. Our second runner-up was uh, at four points, Beast Folk. Then we have a tie for third and fourth with Academic Magic and the Scars of Divinity. But and isn't at... three plus six nine? Wait, what? I put Scars Where's... at three, you put Scars at six. That's nine. Oh, whoops. Uh, yeah, that is nine. Wait, so then which one? Uh, what's your the Academic Magic is two plus six is eight. Okay. Yeah, we do have a three-fold tie. I mean, just, you gotta pick your favorite, then. What among those three? What between or do we just three? do it again? Do audience. we do it again? I think we gotta do it again. For the audience, Frank. Those are the fun... Yeah, those are... So, so our... Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay. So tied for, for first, second, and third place are the Floating Continent, Magic Material... And uh, academic magic, and I think we no, do it one no, more time. Scars, academic is eight. Oh, sorry. Yeah, scars, scars of divinity, floating continent, and magic material. Let's just do it one more time. We'll do our top three. You just do three, two, or one for each. All right. Let's do. Let's do four, two, or one. I think that should break any ties, right? Oh, don't look. <laughs> Damn it! You're all good. Four, two, and one. Uh, no, I'll just do three, two, and one. It should probably be fine. Yeah. I'm ready. Go. It's not academic, Frank. What are you doing? Oh, wait. What was the third one? Scars. Scars Divinity. Mm, okay, yeah. My list would then be three is magic material, uh, two is scars, one is floating continent. So. I mean, scars plus, wins. So you're. I think. Ma- you're so magic materials would be four, scars would be five, and uh Floating Continent would be four. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing scars. That is not what I expected was going to happen. Okay, cool. Let's do scars of divinity, man. It's I think a good we're both uh, I decided it was a good um segue because we're going from the season of divinity, we do the scars of divinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's look at the impacts of it. All right, well, that was pretty messy but like honestly i kind of like the idea of approaching it that way would you i mean maybe we'll see on the other side of this next series maybe we approach this again this way and uh and see what we end up picking but um also we can definitely do the there's the um oh what's it called uh the Eurovision uh scoring approach it's kind of like you know mario kart uh where we could do a couple of different heats or whatever and we just keep narrowing it down but like the points that they get is somewhat unbalanced right like your first gets like 15 points and then your second gets like 12 or something and then it drops like down to like three two or one but yeah all right well i guess uh i guess that's kind of the episode right like this uh we next week we begin a series on the scars of divinity yep pretty good name for it too it is all right well uh carter do you want to take us out i will make it so Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, do not hesitate to share this podcast with others. Feel free to rate and or review us on the podcasting platform of your choice. Ding that bell, Frank. References to previous episodes and other fun links refer to the podcast description. You can find our Twitter and email there. Perfect for asking questions on things you'd like to cover us and uh, us to cover in a future episode. Uh, like a series request thanks 
as always, to Josh the Silkman Silker for the Land of Heroes theme and to Sam Wade for the album art. You can't find Josh Silker, but you can find Sam Wade <laughs> at by Sam Wade on Twitter and Instagram if Twitter is still alive. <laughs> Josh is off the grid. He's gone full like cabin in the woods. Uh, we're capping off each episode this season with a. Re- That's not actually true. I'm, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> we're capping off each episode this season with a reading from the Book of Truth, uh, which is AI religion bot on Twitter. Divine open wound, but has a band aid over it. Carter, what excerpt do you have for us? Go forth with your journeys and in sight, and remember that a better tomorrow awaits you. No matter how dark the night may be, the sun will always rise again. Find the courage and strength to bear your burdens, and there is hope that the future will be brighter. Damn! Happy 2023, everyone! And until next time, don't forget, there are always more cereals to serialize. (laughs) More, um... More more ambles to pre, which speaking of, uh, if you're curious about our uh, opinions about the recent developments with the OGL uh, open game license from uh, Wizards of the Coast, fuck those guys, is the TLDR. But um, for more information about what we think, uh, feel free to check out the amble where we <laughs> we spend a good chunk of the time venting. But that's all for this week. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Yeah, so I have not finished the new episode yet of Critical Role. Oh, dude, I haven't. I haven't. Okay. I'm still in campaign two. Okay. That wasn't that wasn't it. Uh, uh, the OGL was what I was going to say. But before oh. I said that, I just wanted to mention really quick that um, uh, we I am going to try and pay some attention. Just keep paying attention to my feed right now because I'm trying something new today. So you're recording. <laughs> Well, I think I think I've told you that. My, oh, my God. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. I think you might know I've maybe mentioned before that my like MacBook has a 256 gig solid state drive. That's it. Yes, because it was an additional like four hundred dollars to get a bigger one. And I was like, I it's first of all, that's so stupid. It's the worst version of the Apple tax because. Well, I'll explain, but like, um. The uh, because you can't upgrade it on your own, like you literally I think they have it soldered together uh, where the motherboard, the solid state drive and like a couple other things are literally soldered together. So first of all, if you need to get anything replaced, you replace the whole thing, Uh, like the entire like guts of the thing, which is just technically if you were adept with the solder, you could solder on shit. But that's a I could. That's beyond my expertise. I honestly, I'll say this. I don't know anybody with that expertise. And I know a few people who are capable of, of computers. Not to say nobody is. I'm sure maybe somebody I know might be capable of doing that. And I have thought multiple times about getting a soldering kit and doing like, you know, learning to do it. But I'm like, practically speaking, there are other solutions. Frank, my you solution strike me as the guy to buy a set of keycaps. Print your own circuit board and solder your own keyboard circuit board 
and then like build a keyboard from scratch with these custom keycaps because you were really excited about these custom keycaps. We've never talked about this before, right? Maybe. I don't think I don't know that we maybe subconsciously, but yeah, yeah, I haven't done it, but you are it's absolutely coming. right. It's I coming. have absolutely I have a I think one day uh, Rachel actually got me back into it because she got a really nice not cut like she didn't solder it or anything, um, but she got like a really nice keyboard that's I don't know, just super blurry back there. Um, it's really pretty. It's got like Is it a TKO? LEDs underneath and stuff. Uh, it's a I don't remember the 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 company. I think it's an eighty percent. Um, it doesn't have uh, num keys, and I mean it has like a you know a row at the top, but it doesn't have a num on the side. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a TKL. A TKL just means ten keyless. Right, ten keyless. That's what it is. Ten numbers. Which means keyless. you don't have the home button on the page up or page down. You don't have the arrow keys. You don't have the numpad. She has no, the, arrow the arrow keys too. Yeah, you just don't yeah. have the numpad. No, think, that's what it is. Because the numpad is the ten key. I think key. that's a. I think that's a sixty percent, right? Yeah, I'm thinking sixty percent. Yeah, TKL yeah. is just no numpad. Which, by the way, yeah, I found a pretty sweet, uh, wired USB numpad. Just an unpad mm-hmm. on Amazon that I got from my older brother. I need to ask him how he likes it. Because nice. I want to put that shit on the left and just fucking do that for data entry. I think you've got one, don't you? Yeah. For that exact reason, I have a separate one. I stick on the left-hand side. I have a second one of these at work um, because I... That's wireless, though. Yeah, yeah. It the is. I mean, it's not... Frank. It's I, gotta, I know it's a it's a little annoying. Sometimes the keys uh, like judder or miss or whatever. But I, I just hate wires so much that I don't care. And it was like 10 bucks and it works well enough to do what I need it to do. Yeah, no, I mean, there's just enough things that I do where I. Like my my. Workflow principle at work is because the way that I need to do like 3D CAD and stuff, um, one hand is always on the mouse which is why I have like a six key rocker on the um, I think this is the this is the G604 Logitech. Um, and then the other hand never strays from home row unless it's to do the numpad stuff. But they just don't make numpads that are on the left. Um, or I even thought about reverse doing a reverse numpad so that the numbers ascend like backwards. Right. So that because it's, it has to do with finger strength, like there is something about like having these numbers on the right hand side of my hand that just like doesn't make sense because it's like this is my strongest finger i'd rather like this feels more comfortable but like it's not worth it it's not worth it to reprogram all of that but uh, yeah it's it's exactly for that reason i like losing little bits of time every time i had to move my hand like glance down move my hand and then move it back um and that was to type less comfortably with my left hand so it's like if i'm gonna make that sacrifice i might as well just Oh, the whole, the, the, oh my gosh, no, we were going to talk and we got distracted a few different times. So actually, you know we what, it, instead of continuing to get distracted, let me zoom out for a moment. We can talk kind of about structure of the thing, and then we can return to the, some of the things, because I've like mentally pinned the things that I want to just sort of in, during the amble. Pinned. I sometimes do that. I don't know if you do, but like literally, so I, because I lack, um, you know, the ability to visualize. So what I'll do is I will literally, I, this, I used to do this a lot. I would sort of aestheticize a interface for myself of space where I would just be like pretending I was looking at a whiteboard or like a cork board. And I would, I would, I would be like, okay, this is a thing that I need to remember. And I would literally like 
as though I was writing it out in the air and then I'd grab it and put it up somewhere. And like, it was enough for my brain to create that association of there's a thing up here that I need to remember. And I remember, you know, writing it through the air that it would last for a few hours. So if I needed to like, I mean, it wasn't the best uh, system, but like it worked okay if I was like in the middle of a conversation or if I was doing some design work or something and I needed to just remember something. But that was yet another of uh, me getting distracted talking about something else. But yeah, dude. Um, how about that OGL though? Hasbro. Daddy Hasbro fucking us for our money. I've seen a lot of people cancel their D&D Beyonds. Yeah, I'm, I am proud of the resilience of the D&D community to D&D being... Beyond. Beyond was like ha- uh, uh, trending on Twitter. Yeah, the resistance of the D&D community to this kind of gross tactics just to make a bunch of fucking money and to take advantage of create creatives that have been doing OGL stuff for decades with the expectation that they could continue to do so. And this this absolute jack-off move by Hasbro and, you know, of course, by endorsed the higher by ups at the D&D. The, mm-hmm. which, which, I should say, before we even go any further, the employees who are working at D&D at Wizards of the Coast, they are not necessarily to blame. There's actually a lot of people where literally uh, uh, one of the things I saw earlier today, it was a post from somebody inside who anonymously was posting that they send out their messaging like the the higher up send out their messaging without consulting anybody on the team and people are afraid to speak out because literally people have been fired over like disagreements of or like pushing back on shit like this so like don't go after the creatives this is not their fault i don't know how much like a you know one of the higher up creatives has like mike morals or whatever like that's more of a gray area but like the the top top tiers are the ones to blame for this shit. Yeah, like there, there's a question of like, c- could you say the creators should be doing more, even at the risk of their own jobs? Maybe, but risking your job is very frightening in this kind yeah. of climate. So like, you can't fault people that much for being like, look, I need this job. I have a family. I need to pay the bills, and I can't do that if I get fired, and so I can't run the risk of getting fired, even if I am passionate about this. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Exactly. You shouldn't go after these creative types, who most likely are very upset, and are even more upset at their impotence. Why would they? This doesn't benefit them. This actively harms them. This is, I mean, it's the biggest example of just, like, absolutely shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, there's a tweet. I, I don't know if this is sort of just a, 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 a conversational di- or dialogue piece that's been going on. I should say, uh, for anybody who's listening to Amble, little backup here. Um, the OGL is the open game license. It's the thing that has made D&D successful uh, in the last like 20 years. Um, it's basically the copyright on the D&D system itself, like the 5e system, is the right to copy. You are allowed to use it for free in any of your stuff as long as you're not using like specific copyrighted IP stuff that has to do with like Forgotten Realms, for example, or like there's the difference between what is it? Agar's or like Tensor's floating disc versus floating disc in the open game license, uh, like addition of the spell list. They just have floating disc or you can use floating disc. 
but like tensor yeah. as an individual as somebody who's part of like the ip of forgotten realms so yeah, what I, I think you has, do have to mention that you're like publishing this under the ogl like you have to do that right kind of right stuff. you yeah. can't just say it's yours Somebody leaked, uh, I think, a week or two ago uh, that they're basically trying to do away with the open game license and charge people who make over, I think, $50,000 a year as a business from creating this material uh, up to 25% of their like net profit, which is just like that's just it's such a no- nonsense number for a company like this that like it, it's there's no way it's going to happen. Like it just can't. Yep. And, I mean, I've seen stuff where it's like, um, it's also anything you publish under the new OGL, as they were, you know, putting this forward, which they've since stopped, thankfully, because Mm -hmm. of the community feedback. But anything you publish, uh, the Wizards has the rights to publish it themselves and to make money off it themselves. So basically, Wizard owns it. I didn't know that. That's absurd. What if the you make fuck? it, yeah. Somebody pointed this out, and Carter, you probably know a little bit about this. Uh, the the Lord of the Rings RPG is based off of the Five E system, and somebody was pointing out that, like, yeah, I'm sure the Tolkien Estate is going to have no problem. This the extremely litigious Tolkien Estate is going to have no problem with this new agreement and is not going to sue the shit out of D D for this new arrangement. Frank, there's even it's- a greater force. What? Knights of the Old Republic and Knights of the Old Republic Two, Star Wars owned by Disney, uses the OGL. Wait, are you serious? Wait, yes. like, but Kotor isn't. But that doesn't matter if they're not new, making new product, right? I think they're making Knights of the Republic 2. I mean, KOTOR 2 already happened. Are yeah, they doing, yeah, they're doing like a remake or something? or something, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's... No, no. I mean, well, I don't know how Disney would handle that. They'd probably just say, okay, we'll create our own system or something. But also... No, actually, no. Disney would just say, fuck no. We have the money. We're the biggest, we're the biggest asshole around. We'll just push you out. Fuck you. Um, you'd be like, you know what? It's time to buy Hasbro. I mean, here's the thing. I could totally see a version of this where, like, they make a secondary version of the, like, license agreement that they have for specific companies like this, right? Like a partnership or something. Yeah. Where it's separate. I could totally see that between enormous companies. But also, like, if D&D, if Wizards doesn't, switch course on this they will not exist in three or four years like the system will be in tatters we are seeing the beginning of like the dawn of, really like i've been really excited for one D. like dawn of a new day feels like the right direction i was like this is the way the direction that you should go yes make things backwards compatible don't even know how that works but sure go for yeah. it 5e is a good enough system but as somebody pointed out, like, uh, or like there's, you know, the, the thing that I was trying to say earlier that has been going around is 5e is not the most ubiquitous and famous system because it's the best. It's the most ubiquitous system because of the OGL, because yeah. of the fact that they said, uh, like, I mean, the original p- point, the, 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 the goal of the uh, previous CEO who, like, put this into motion in the mid thousands, I think, like 2004 somewhere around there was his prediction was this if we make the license ubiquitous 
people will keep coming back for more of our content because you'll you open the floodgates. Anybody can make content. It's kind of a games workshop approach, you know, where it's just like if anybody can make content, you know, we still get the trickle down effect where like people will buy our product because we will corner the market in terms of just notoriety. And since so much of the 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 like the gaming sphere is dependent on word of mouth, like really that is the way that this shit works, right? Word of mouth is always the best advertising and it is a community that is based on community. You know, people buy the products that their friends buy because they want to play the same game as them. It's true. Like th- that was the right approach. I now from a capitalistic standpoint, like I don't necessarily love the implications, right? But it was a surprisingly reasonable truce to draw with a bunch of small in like small companies and individuals and stuff as a way of working copacetic in the fucking shithole system that we call late stage capitalism. And this is just what a mistake. What a terrible choice. Did you see what Paizo has said? Yeah, didn't they just say "fuck you"? We're making our own system, or no? They that's did. Cobalt Press, right? They, no, that that in partnership with Cobalt Press and all these other people, uh, they did the the ORC, I think it is. Or, um, but but even better uh, when they're talking about because Pathfinder and Pathfinder two point second edition uh, is under the OGL. Well, not Pathfinder second. Pathfinder second was a complete rewrite that they did intentionally. Uh, to separate it uh, entirely. I don't know if you've looked into... Well, actually, no, you probably know some of Pathfinder, right? It's a D20 system, but because they built it, rebuilt it from the ground up, it is actually out from underneath OGL, as far as as I know, unless you've heard otherwise. I think they uh, they built it to not rely on any of the keywords, but they still published it under OGL so other people can use Pathfinder's keywords. Is that... Interesting. Well, because Pathfinder's not actually Pathfinder's under the OGL, the original mm-hmm. Pathfinder. You know, it's sort of three point seven five edition, right? Yeah. It was three and a half modded to actually make it like you know decent to play for the kind of person who wants to play it. No shade to Pathfinder first edition. I think that there's a place and time for it, right? Um, I guess I thought that Pathfinder second. I mean, I don't know from the rules that I have read of Pathfinder second. Like, yes, it's a D20 system fundamentally, but it looks almost nothing like d in yes. terms of the way that it's structured, um, or at least fifth edition, I should say. Like, there is definitely, I think, up to 20 levels, but I think you can go up to 30 or 40 even. Uh, the way that HP and damage and shit scales is, like, fundamentally different. Like, it's more like in World of Warcraft, where if you try and fight something a few levels above you, you just won't hit. Um, or a few levels below you, you're just like not getting any experience. Yep. In, in uh, on page 638 of the Pathfinder Second Edition Core Rulebook, I have it right here. They have the Alpha Gaming License version 1.0a. Is the Alpha Gaming License is that the same thing as the OGL? The Open Gaming Gaming License. Oh, I thought you said Alpha. Gotcha. No, no, Open Game License. Huh. Well, yeah, that's. Because then that means that they couldn't continue to publish their Pathfinder 2nd Edition material. Yes. That's why this that's, is a big deal. That's not going to work. Like, Disney and, and, and the Tolkien Estate are one thing because it's like they have their fingers in so many different pies. Paizo is just Pathfinder. I mean, it's more, it's Starfinder and it's a couple of other things too. But, um, but like, it's, big. it's the flagship product. But it's, but it's, 
It is that is their flagship product. That's their whole. That'd be like if Games Workshop is somebody owned the rights to making like selling little figurines and said, you can't make the figurines anymore without paying us a shit ton of money. It's like Games Workshop is like, okay, then what are we supposed to make our money doing? Like, what are you what are you talking about? You know? It's nonsense. It's utter nonsense. But what what Paizo said was basically, uh, we don't want to fight this in court, but we're willing to because the two people currently in charge of Paizo were literally working for Wizards of the Coast when the OGL was made, Mm -hmm. and the current lawyer for Pathfinder through Azure Law Firm, whatever, is the guy that made the OGL. The guy that wrote it is their lawyer. What? That's fucking hilarious. And so it's like, we're, we're going to, if we have to, we'll fight this in court because we were fucking there oh God. when it was written. Oh my God. Yeah. Do not. Oh, what is it? Uh, do, it's the do Aslan. Not, uh, do not quote, quote the old magic to me, witch for I was, I was there, there when it was when written. It was written. <laughs> Which is such a good fucking line, man. Yeah. Man, like, there's, like, C.S. Lewis is definitely, like, obviously not everybody's cup of tea. Obviously, I'm biased, right, because of my upbringing and stuff like that. But there are some fucking all-timers from that dude. Shit like that. Do not quote the old, yeah, like, the ancient magic to me, which I know I was there when it was written. Oh, good shit. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that this, it's, it's just, I think my brain can't even... Like, it's like the number one billion. I just look at that and say, yeah, sure. Okay, whatever. But like the opposite, I'm like, like my brain just can't even accept. Like, it's just so absurd that it's it's not. I don't know how they would. How did they think they were going to pull this off? I'll tell you exactly. Is it just dumbasses on the top, uh, like on the top level? Did you know that this is not the first time D&D has gone bankrupt? Or like, this is not the first time that D&D has... I mean, that's why they're owned by Hasbro, right? Yes, Wizards, because they were bought. Yeah. They were bought and rolled into Wizards of the Coast um, from the original company that made D and D, which Gary Gygax right. founded. Um, mm-hmm. a, a TSR, I think. Yeah, TSR. That sounds right. Although and, that was like a kind of a while. That was like what the late and do you know, when do you know why TSR went bankrupt? No, why? Because the CEO who drove it into the fucking ground, didn't know anything about tabletop role-playing games and didn't know how to monetize them. He was just like, I don't fucking know anything about this. I don't know anything about this community. Let's just try to make a bunch of money. And then he yeah, fucking didn't drove they... it into the ground because everyone's like, what the fuck are you doing? I used, to, I used to listen to like the D&D kind of like official podcast or whatever. They'd have like a weekly podcast. I seem to remember they were talking about the... Uh, it's around the time of the what was it called the 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 tome of vile madness or something you know what i'm talking about it's like this infamous during the satanic panic of the 80s it's like yeah i, I know about that it's, that's it's that's a, a, it's a that's a good thing. that's a good reach from critical role they had a, they they had a um a fight pre um pre show in first campaign the Book of a, Vile Darkness. Yeah, with an NPC from the Book of Vile Darkness, who is this emperor who chained children to him. And if you ever de- dealt damage to the emperor, the children would take the damage instead. I don't think that that was pre-campaign. I seem to remember yeah. 
watching that. No, no, that that was pre pre show. They was mentioned it previously, and they made they running mentioned jokes. It, that's what it was. They made yeah, running jokes yeah. in the show about Keyleth killing a kid, and it was because oh shit, that's yes. what that was. Yes. Yeah, I could never remember what the Keyleth killing a kid was a reference to. That's what it was. Okay, that's funny. Yeah, it's because they managed to free all the kids except like one, and Keyleth hit the guy, and then the kid died, and they're like, "What the fuck, Keyleth?" <laughs> well, okay. Um, yeah, anyways, I, I don't know. It's just like, the, the oh, I was just going to say that, like, I think the reason why TSR uh, got driven into the ground was, it. I think it had something to do with at that time, they were just, he, the, the CEO was pushing, just trying to, like, produce a million things every year and just, like, dump money into producing tons and tons and tons of content, which is, like, I mean, I don't know. I don't hate that in terms of, like, it's great to have those resources now, but it's not a great system for, like, it's the same thing that Magic is trying to do with like, let's release 12 sets a year or whatever the fuck. It's like, nobody can catch up to that. By the time that you get like even half the cards from the pre, like that's just, it's just greed. Or the fact that they like tried to release what? Like the Black Lotus re-release and like made it so that those sets were like $4,000 per pack or something. It was something insane. Well, TSR didn't own, um, no, they didn't own Wizards uh, uh, like Magic ever, but I'm just yeah, saying yeah. Wh- that's what Magic's doing right now. Yes, is they're trying they're to sell. Right and, yes, yes. It's Currently, so Wizards silly. of the Coast with Hasbro is fucking Magic into the ground. It's true. And it's, it's like it's never been... When, it, when, when you're paying like a couple of bucks for a pack of cards, right? It's like, okay, I could see, you know, yes, there's definitely some upcharge or whatever, but you have like artists to pay and stuff like that. And, you know, and it's, it's game design and it's still that they're printing money. Yeah. Like, no question about it. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, it's, it's a pastime. I can see it when you're paying for a box set of like 60 packs or 36 packs or whatever. It's like, OK, so you're really into this, right? You're they're providing a product because there's people who want this. When you sell a pack of cards for like 500 bucks or whatever that comes with like eight of these ancient cards, it has never been more apparent how bullshit the whole arrangement is. Yep. I'm paying $500 or whatever for like the chance at a a roll, you know, a, a a pull on the slot machine of I might get a piece of paper that the community has decided that, you know, the company that makes this has decided is worth several hundred dollars. No, I mean, it's like. Yeah, sure. Like, sure, because that's how capitalism works, right? It's an abstraction of value, but it's, it's also just like it, it's it, the veneer has never been so thin. And so like D&D doing shit like this is just like. You're just saying the quiet part loud. Like, it's so loud. Like, set the megaphone down. We get it. <laughs> you, yeah, you're, I, you're thirsty for funds. Yeah, if, if, D, if you ever want to make fucking more money off D&D, what you, you don't do this weird digital fucking subscriber model you're trying to push. Like, some people might like that, but this is a game that can be played with fucking paper. <laughs> like... Don't push that model. What you need to do is sell fucking toys or something. That's what you're good yeah. at. Yeah. Well, I People mean, love or the D&D thing that, they, that, that has been working since forever. You release new shit that like is cool adventures or whatever that a person will pay like money for. A, like, you know, that, you know, illustrators put this together. Game designers put this together. There's cool lore and shit. You know, I, I held up Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Like that has worked. And it's going to keep working because the kind of people who do tabletop shit are going to continue to buy physical products even if things become more and more digital in the same way that people who love music will buy vinyl. It's so stupid. It's true. 
Anyways, I think I just needed to vent, and I was like, there's nobody I'd rather vent with than Carter as far as the OGO. Yeah, I again, just, I, I'm just like, the takeaways, I'm so proud of the D&D community. Yeah, being like, hell this yes. is bullshit, and we're not going to stand for it. Yeah, and like, the number of people who have stood by others, like, allying even with, you know, the littler guy, right? Like, Paizo's not small, and but their margins are still pretty thin, you know, yeah. and they're, you know, they definitely... I think should be paying their workers more. There's definitely shit that's come out in the past about that, but like what else is new? But like, let's not forget, you know, Paizo, Paizo puts out Pathfinder Signation for free. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's why their yeah. margins are so thin. It's because they're like, because they're so, they're so keen on the game. They're being committed this, to the like, community gaming thing. They're like, if you want to play Pathfinder, here are the books. You, you don't do Pathfinder because you want to make money. And I mean, like everybody should have a livable wage, of course, but like, they are living within the structure of a capitalistic society and they are choosing the better path, which is valuing community over income. And they're still getting their income. That's the thing is that yep. like the, the, the people who are in the community are actively choosing to support that shit. That's why you see like all the time Kickstarter has basically become a playground for anybody who with a cool board game idea or an RPG or tabletop or whatever, because like there is no community except maybe gamers uh, like like video games and those overlap. There's no community who is more committed to like dumping money into a little artistic weirdo thing because it's interesting and cool. And because somebody came up with a cool idea. So fuck off wizards. Like seriously, like get your shit in line again. I'm sorry if you work for the company and you have nothing to do with this and you feel awful about it. Like I get it. My sympathy is with you. Hang in there. Hopefully these things will straighten out. Do what you can. Yeah, CEOs, yeah, go, what fuck, we're saying, go fuck yourselves. What we're saying isn't everyone who works for Hasbro or everyone who works for Wars of the Coast is bad. We're not saying that. No. We're saying the people that are, that are behind these dumbass, horrible decisions that are only going to harm themselves and the community, those people that are behind these decisions, that support these decisions, they're the ones... They can go fuck themselves because they're, it's yeah. obviously a blatant money grab with no care for long-term goals of fostering the community, of fostering the game, and fostering the community of tabletop gaming in general, not merely d d Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'll just put it this way. Like, they are no more... Most of them, I should say, the vast majority of the people who work for Hasbro or Wizards or whatever are no more complicit in this shit than like a person who works in at, at a Walmart is for the jet fuel spent by the enormous CEOs who, you know, just, you know, set around the world or whatever, wasting money and doing absolutely jack all to actually help people. Yeah, like, you know, like they're they're not responsible for that. You don't blame those people. You blame the system that has engendered that as being the only way to functionally live within the society, and barely then, and honestly, these days, not even. Okay, I feel like I've, <laughs> I've talked enough about that. Um, I'm ready to, yeah, I'm ready to transition. What the fuck is this? That is one is of the amoeba? So that's a topo map. Um, the dark brown to white is like mountainous region stuff. Okay. And then like the the really dull green to like sort of the yellowish greens are uh are things around 
300, 600, uh, 1200 feet above sea level. Where is sea level? It's not. Is it the uh, sea level is just the white. It's just uh, it's the things around the sides. It's obviously not done. I'm uh, like the topo is done, but like I've yet to add climates or actually like make it look pretty. So it's still kind of more from the analytical level. Um, and is this the equator, this blue line? Uh, that is, I think, the 30th south parallel. Okay. Or it might actually be 60 south. Because that's fairly close. Like, the bottom of that continent touches the, 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 the um, antipolar plate. Anyways, um, that took me... I was up until 3.30 last night, uh, or this morning. I started at around, like, 9.30, uh, I think. And, um... <laughs> just kept going because I was like, I just want to be done with this. Like I've been, I've spent like a week on this and it, I was, it was going really slow and I got really, really fast towards the end and learned a lot. And so now I'm going to take that continent through the climatology stuff and kind of the, the rivers and lakes and stuff. Once I complete all of those things with it, which I think will not take nearly as much time as the topo. The topo just takes long because there's a lot of, you know, detail to add. Once that's all done, I can then take that information and apply it to the rest of the map. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, dude, it's really it, it's like I said, it's taking a while, but it is really happening. And I'm so excited. It's going to be good. So. Good shit. It, I'm having a really good time with it. Also, that's a continent we've never talked about before. The northern yeah. edge of that is the south uh, southern Marian Dominion. And it's up to us to decide whether it keeps going through there or whatever. Like, uh, uh, Orun is to the east of that. I think there's probably um, another elven empire that claimed that area. Yeah, or, I mean, it's an extension or part, like, aspect of the Marian Dominion that is somewhat different, right? Or I could see them sort of, like, going somewhat inland, but maybe there's a different people who have more dominance there, it's more broken up, or maybe there's not a lot of people on this landmass at all, like, depends on the climates and stuff. Yeah. You can ignore the arrows, by the way, those are just, like, currents. So blue water is coming from, uh, uh, like, cooler further uh, towards the poles and moving northward, and then uh, red water is, like, you know, warmer currents that are moving southward, so they bring, like, you know, warmer temperatures or more yeah. mild uh, climates to the things that they touch. Anyways, it's fun. Um, okay, should we uh, should we do the app? Let's do it. Okay, 